We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Kia ora, I'm Philippa Tolley and welcome to The Long Read From Stuff. In this episode, we're delving into the archives to bring you one of the best examples of our long-form journalism, Beautifully Read. This week's story is called The Price of Fish. It's written by Andrea Vance and she's with us now. Kia ora, Andrea. Hello. The Price of Fish, but this story, it's really about birds, isn't it? It is. It's about our the terrible plight of our seabirds. New Zealand is the seabird capital of the world. We have many, many species that um, that live here and come here to breed. And it was written a couple of years ago. And the focus of this is the Antipodean albatross. That's the bird that you that you focus on. Has much changed in their situation in that time? She says, hopefully improved. No, definitely not improved. Um, the latest modelling from Doc, Department of Conservation, um, is a pretty grim picture. Um, it suggests that the Antipodean albatross, which is a beautiful bird, a real national treasure, um, will be functionally extinct by 2050. And when we say functionally extinct, it's a pretty bleak forecast. Basically, it means that, yeah, there'll be a, a one or two of them around, but they sort of enter this extinction vortex whereby there's just not enough of them to breed successfully to have a healthy population. So yeah, it's really tragic. I mean, there's very few of them already. Very few New Zealanders will get the opportunity to see them. So it's just a really sad story. And your story sets out some of the steps that could be taken to try and do something in the fishing industry to protect them. Has anything changed in that area? Are any more protective measures in place? No. And I mean, arguably it could get worse, actually. So the foraging of these beautiful birds um, when they go out to sea to find food basically happens in international waters and all the evidence seems to be pointing that they're um, that they fall victim to foreign fishing vessels so they become bycatch where they're accidentally captured and it's a pretty it's a pretty awful death where they drown the problem is is that we do not set a good example in our own waters and um, they estimate that somewhere between 300 and 500 albatross are killed each year by surface longlining. International best practice is that we use three mitigation measures, so three ways of stopping these birds getting killed. So that is bird scaring lines, which is kind of like flags and brightly coloured streamers, um, line waiting, which means that the weights drop really quickly and the birds can't get to them, and then setting at night. So the best practice and the way that seems to reduce bycatch levels is by using all of these three methods at once. New Zealand's law, the domestic regulations, say that fishers only have to use two of these methods. And currently, MPR are consulting with the fishing industry and other people, marine conservationists, about changing the rules. So there is the potential for them to weaken these protections and these regulations, which is what bird lovers, bird conservationists, marine conservationists are really worried about. And they say that we can't lecture other countries on what they're doing we can't say to other countries you need to take greater measures to protect these species when we're not doing it ourselves so not much changed unfortunately thank you so much for that andrea now here's andrea reading her story the price of fish 
It's an everyday food, spread on sandwiches, topping off salads, or mixed through a bubbling, cheesy pasta bag. Canned tuna is an inexpensive staple of lunchboxes and pantries, the third most popular seafood across America. The global market is worth 1.5 billion US dollars. But it is a lucrative industry that is killing New Zealand's most endangered seabird, the Antipodean albatross. The majestic ocean wanderer, which breeds on only two isolated islands, is likely to be functionally extinct within 20 to 30 years. Like the northern white rhino, this means that a few individuals are still living, but the population will never recover. There are an estimated 31,900 of the birds left, and only 9,050 breeding pairs. A new report shows close encounters between the threatened seabirds and international fishing vessels, much of whose catch ultimately ends up stacked in cans and pouches on the shelves of the US's most popular supermarkets, including Walmart, Target and Costco. Now, environmental organisations are calling on the retailers and their consumers to demand transparency in the supply chain to ensure their groceries are seabird safe. The Antipodean albatross is in a critical freefall, Livia Esterhazy, chief executive of WWF New Zealand says. Two thirds of its population has collapsed in just over 10 years. And we've been tracking them. We know that when they go out to gather food, especially when they have a chick on the nest, that they get caught in long lines. A lot of tuna is caught in that Western Central Pacific high sea space where there's a lot less legislation and visibility on the supply chain. The US supermarkets and consumers are very focused on sustainability, Esther Hazy says, but they don't know about the Antipodean albatross. They don't know it's critically endangered and they don't understand that it's being caught in the same lines that are catching the albacore tuna. So we need to highlight the plight of this bird throughout that supply chain to say, how do you actually know that the tuna that's in the pouch you're about to eat has not killed this critically endangered species that's endemic to New Zealand? And they cannot answer that question at this point in time, which is really scary. Greenpeace campaigner Ellie Hooper says, one of the main issues with the global fishing industry is that supply chains are notoriously not transparent. So while many of us can try really hard when we're at the supermarket to make the right choice, if we choose to eat fish, the problem is that we often just won't know. Globally, it's quite a tricky trail to follow. It had taken white 44J the best part of a year to grow from an egg hatched in a nest in the tussock grass under Mount Galloway on Antipodes Island 
to a ball of fluff and then an ungainly fledgling. That she was even born was a small miracle of nature. The birds breed biennially. Their year on land is separated by a sabbatical year at sea. Juveniles like White 44J can stay at sea for several years before returning to the island. They won't start breeding until they're seven years old. White 44J lasted a little more than six months in the Pacific before the tragic encounter with a fishing boat, Quan Hang Fa. Breeding birds start their courting rituals with an elaborate dance involving clashing beaks and strange calls and roars. A single egg is laid somewhere between December and February in a ground-level nest made of soil and vegetation. Parents take turns incubating it in shifts of about 20 days. It takes a year to raise a chick. The parents forage over the continental shelf edge in deep water from south of West Australia to the coast of Chile and can fly up to 100 kilometres in an hour. But in recent years, sea surface temperature changes caused by global warming are making their prey scarce and driving the albatross further north to forage, where they encounter fishing fleets on the high seas. The population has declined sharply over the last 16 years. More than half of the females on Antipodes Island have vanished at sea. This is reflected in the declining number of nests surveyed by Department of Conservation scientists Kath Walker and Graham Elliott in the Antipodes. Walker and Elliott have spent close to 30 summers on the island observing the birds. The general trend we've noticed over the last 15 years, Elliott says, is that they're going further than they used to. Obviously, they're not going to go further than they need to because every kilometre costs you a bit of something. They are working harder and in more dangerous seas. The remaining mate can't leave the egg because it would be seized by one of the island's predatory skewer. They're sitting there for a long time, Elliot says. They start to look ghastly. After about a fortnight, they look a bit sort of sunken and dehydrated. They can't even nip to sea for a drink. They've just got to sit there. Walker and Elliot's study in the Antipodes identified the continued decline of the albatross population has been driven by the much smaller size of the breeding population and reduced nesting success. With a three-metre wingspan fully grown, the Antipodean albatross is among our largest seabirds. But the wings, dark on top and white underneath, rarely flap instead conserving energy by exploiting small updrafts created by ocean wind and waves. They live for up to 60 years. The birds feed on squid and fish, swooped from the surface or shallow plunge dives, but they're attracted to boats in hope of an easy meal, scavenged from discards or hooked bait. They become entangled in long lines and drown. For the last two years, Doc has been satellite tracking Antipodean albatrosses, tagged by Elliot and Walker, to find areas of fisheries overlap. They are certain about how White 44J died, because the bird's device was later recovered by the crew 
and returned. In 2019, 38 out of 63 tracked birds overlapped with longliners. One bird alone overlapped with 54 vessels. During this time, eight transmitters stopped working close to fishing boats. White 755, a female breeding albatross, is assumed to have been killed by the tuna longliner Moorrich in 2019. Her device stopped transmitting after an encounter with the Vanuatu-flagged ship, a thousand kilometers south of where White 44J drowned. Analysis by University of Edinburgh researcher George Fife, commissioned by Southern Seabirds Trust, shows that in 2019, the highest overlap was with Taiwanese-flagged vessels, followed by Japan, Vanuatu and China. Nine were from Australia and two from New Zealand. The clashes happened mostly in the western central Pacific, in an area northeast of New Zealand and in the mid-Tasman Sea. The family of a Melton teenager who died six years ago are, for the first time, appealing for further information about the girl's death. If I could go back now knowing what I know now, they'd be dead. Yeah, I'd be in jail. I'm Ryan Wolfe, and in season four of my investigative true crime podcast, Guilt, I travel to Melbourne, Australia, to investigate the mysterious death of 16-year-old Alana Cecil and uncover a shocking case of sex, exploitation, drugs, and possibly murder. You'll find Guilt on all good podcast platforms. And she got stolen away from me. And are those culprits who did it? I want to catch them. I want to get them. And they know who they are. And I'm, I won't, I won't give, I ever give up. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Most of the catch is destined for canning. The US is the primary market. 70% of all canned tuna consumed there comes from the western central Pacific. Albacore has a pinkish flesh, and US consumers know it as the chicken of the sea. But it's not always clear how it arrived there. Some is unloaded to processing plants in Fiji, Western Samoa, and French Polynesia. But for about a fifth of the catch, transshipping also occurs, where large carrier ships offload the fish at sea and move it to Asian ports such as in Thailand, which supplies more than half of the US market with processed fish. For years, environmental agencies have been warning that transshipment muddies the supply chain and helps bad actors shift illegally caught products. Of the 111 vessels that interacted with Antipodean albatross and were tracked by George Fife, 40 transshipped. They were vessels flagged to China, Taiwan, South Korea, and Vanuatu. The most popular destination ports were Busan in South Korea and Taiwan's Kaohsiung. 
The Western and Central Pacific Fisheries Commission is the intergovernmental organisation which manages fishing in the region. Livia Esterhazy of WWF New Zealand wants it to improve tuna traceability by introducing blockchain technology. Blockchain involves a shared database that can't be hacked or altered and allows consumers to scan a code on a product to find out exactly where it came from. There is capability of visibility, Esther Hazy says. We've got blockchain that WWF has been working with to track tuna from bait to plate. And so these sorts of innovative tools could be one way of opening up that supply chain very, very clearly and allowing the consumer, particularly in those US markets, to make the right choice. Esther Hazy breaks down the process. The fish is caught, it's tagged immediately. It comes with a little QR code and then you can use your phone to zap the code and it shows you the skipper. Sometimes it shows you who literally caught the fish. It shows what boat, that it had no human rights abuse and it was caught in sustainable waters. The first step the US supermarkets can do is to really look into where exactly is that tuna coming from. And they will soon discover that it's very hard to figure that out. And then working with us to have a very transparent and traceable supply chain is the key. To be selling tuna to consumers that is hand on heart, not killing this precious Taonga species. Walmart, Costco and Target did not respond to Stuff's request for comment. Oceans and Fisheries Minister David Parker backs the calls for increased transparency. We're always interested in using technology in a way that rewards the people that do the right thing and creates a relative advantage compared with those that don't, he says. Those economic incentives brought to bear by consumers are a very important part because at the moment, absent those incentives, you can see that it's cheaper to do things a bit rough and ready in a way that increases the risk of bycatch. But it's not just vessels on the high seas. Esther Hazy argues that the New Zealand government and commercial fishing industry aren't off the hook. Less than 20 Kiwi-flagged vessels fish for tuna in the Western Central Pacific Fisheries Commission region. Esther Hazy wants the entire tuna fleet to be fitted with onboard cameras and for more mitigation to be mandatory. A $68 million programme to equip 300 vessels with cameras by 2024 applies only to the inshore fleet. The law's not enough, she says. The fact that they can still be killed in our exclusive economic zone where New Zealand has jurisdiction over natural resources is not good enough. And the compliance with those measures and the ability to ping if they're not compliant is so low that we just don't know what's going on. Esther Hazy points out that there is currently little commercial imperative for fishers to weight their bait or use hook pods to stop birds reaching it. Unfortunately, she says, to weight a bait at the moment, it's 50 cents per weight. And you're talking thousands of bait hooks on a line. The hook pods are $10 a pod at the moment, super expensive. If the fishermen are not doing 50 cents, they won't do 10 bucks. There's no need for fishermen to comply with that because the consumers are unaware. So again, it comes back to that supply chain problem. Should the government help? Absolutely. 
Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, Michael Wright here. If you're enjoying the long read, I think you might like my new true crime podcast from Stuff. Hosted by me, Michael Wright, and Shannon Redstall, it's called The Lost Boy, The Disappearance of Mike Zhao Beckenridge. Ellie Hooper of Greenpeace points out that more than 90% of New Zealand seabirds are threatened. In 2019, commercial fishing killed over 14,000 seabirds during operations. And despite those statistics, we're not really seeing action at the scale that we need. The government released a national plan of action for seabirds in 2020, but it really didn't go far enough and relied on the commercial fishing industry adopting voluntary measures in order to mitigate seabird captures. This isn't going to cut it. Conservation group Forest and Bird wants a zero bycatch commitment. The basic principle is if it's not food, we shouldn't catch it, strategic advisor Jeff Key says. Most of our seabirds are in trouble, but the Antipodean albatross are really in trouble. We're killing them off, just as we killed off the dodo. The Western Central Pacific Fisheries Commission requires vessels to use specified bycatch mitigation methods, such as setting at night or using scaring devices. But the vessel can select which practices and doesn't have to use all of them. New Zealand requires fishers to do only two of the three methods, setting lines at night, bird scaring, and weighted lines, which sink faster and are harder for seabirds to catch. The solution isn't rocket science, Key says. We know what you do off the back of a boat reduces the bycatch to negligible levels. We need to have observers on the boat because it's going to take a while before we get cameras on the fleet. We need to be seeing all three methods deployed and we need to see really accurate reporting. All of that has to happen. New Zealand needs to really set the standard. This is an iconic bird for New Zealand. We are the home for it. We have to show the rest of the world how to do the job. If we don't do that, then we're hardly going to get everybody else to do it. David Parker disagrees. If it were necessary to have all three, then we would regulate it. But the advice I've had is that at nighttime, there aren't the same threats and that it's not necessary to have all three. The COVID-19 pandemic has seen the number of Pacific Ocean fisheries observers plummet on vessels. This year, the Ministry of Primary Industries and the New Zealand Defence Force have deployed an Orion aircraft to patrol the Western Pacific. They're using Elliot and Walker's tracking data to hone in on the albatross death zones. New Zealand is home to the most diverse seabird community in the world, MPI Director of Compliance Gary Orr says. And that includes a large number of albatross and petrel species and we want to make sure it stays that way. 
The beauty of the Orion is that they can cover a huge area that these vessels are fishing in as part of the Western Central Pacific Fisheries Commission. When we're setting up a patrol, we can request the Commission to provide us with the positional data for all vessels in the area. That makes it easy for us to go out and identify those vessels that are fishing in the area legitimately. Any other vessels that we find in the area, what we'd call dark vessels, may be fishing completely illegally. The aircraft is fitted with high-resolution cameras, which are used to monitor if the vessels are complying with conservation and mitigation rules. You can see in such detail that you can identify species on the deck and see the faces of the crew members, Orr says. Any breaches are reported to the vessel's flag state and the Commission and its member states. We provide that evidential package, Orr says. It is a very transparent process. Everybody knows, everybody's waiting to see the outcome of the investigation, if the flag state applies any sanctions, and whether those sanctions are acceptable to the Commission members. David Parker says he has recently lobbied ministers from China and Spain on the issue and points to a bilateral agreement with Chile on seabird protection. All of these people are good people and they're human, he says. They don't want to see the extinction of the Antipodean albatross either. So it gives me some hope. On the other hand, the continued decline in numbers shows that it's not working well enough yet. That was A Price of Fish on the Long Read from Stuff, written and read by Andrea Vance, produced by me, Philippa Tolley. This episode's audio was edited by John Ropiha. If you listen via our website, you can hear this story and more like it on the Long Read podcast, available on all the usual platforms. If you liked what you heard, please give us a five-star rating and review. It really helps other listeners find us. Thanks for listening. Ka kite anō. This pod took time and resources to produce. Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz support. Today on League of Our Own, we chat with our feline friend, West Tiger and soon-to-be Panther, Azara Papali'i. See what I did there, like Larry? Yeah. Like the Warriors are 12 matches down with 12 to go. We talk their season to date and if they could still land a final spot. We preview round 14 with the Waz and Townsville and a whole host of massive matches, including the Bronx and the Sharks. And we are officially in the state of origin window. It's an Australian representative competition, yet Kiwis <laughs> love this thing. League of Our Own with Blairy and Goran. Listen through stuff.co.nz or wherever you get your podcast. Proudly brought to you by Snap Rentals.